This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. We're internet sensations, guys. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 to 7 on WSJS. You are on a Thursday drive. It is WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad, and it is a spectacular college football game day in Winston-Salem. We are perched inside a legacy federal credit union stadium. I can hear Wes Durham's voice in my ear right now saying, (laughs) it's a legacy stadium, Josh, just call it that. Where in a few hours, the Wake Forest football team will be facing Wes Durham's mighty Elon Phoenix. Looking outside our skybox right now, it is a picturesque scene. A tick under 80 degrees, very few clouds, and we expect that weather conditions are going to hold up very well throughout the day. So however and wherever you are listening or watching, whether it be at home or in your car or in the tailgate lots, we appreciate you spending time with us. It's not just the Deeks that we're going to be keeping an eye on tonight. NC State has a compelling matchup in West Hartford against UConn. And how about North Carolina A&T? They are in Birmingham to take on UAB in what's going to be Trent Dilfer's collegiate coaching debut. How about that? But since we are at the stadium, we might as well hit on the game that we have here. Despite all that is new for Wake Forest this year, we know exactly what to expect from them at home tonight. We know exactly how this is going to go. They're going to win by more than 30 points. Under Dave Clawson, even when they weren't all that good, I'm talking about the two, three, and nine seasons in 14 and 15, Dave Clawson hammers the FCS opponents. As they should. Wake Forest has beaten FCS teams by an average margin of 33 points per win. Wake's margin of victory in five of the last six FCS games have exceeded 30 points. Has exceeded 30 points. That's what you should expect tonight. And then when you look at the new quarterback that everyone's going to be talking about and has been talking about ad nauseum, Mitch Griffiths replacing Sam Hartman, Mitch Griffith should ball out, and we have a stat line that we could actually measure him up to. 21 of 29 for three touchdowns and no picks. Why that number? That's what Mitch Griffiths did in last year's season opener against an FCS opponent in VMI. You might remember that's the one game Sam Hartman missed due to his medical episode a year ago. You should expect something similar from Mitch tonight. That is where you set expectations for something that we've been talking about as being very new for the Deeks. But this is a standard year. That's what this is, a standard year for Wake Forest that starts tonight and a standard year for Dave Clawson. There are so many changes, but has the program grown so much under Dave that even when you have all the turnover, you could still win six or seven games? Has the program reached that point? Dave Clawson, speaking to the media earlier this week, encouraged people to look past the inexperience and focus on the age of this group. We are inexperienced, but we're not young. Uh, If you look at the depth chart, you know, there's still only four guys uh, who are starting that are in their third year in the program. You know, there's no first-year guys, second-year guys. There's four third-year guys. And the rest of the depth chart is comprised of guys that are in their fourth, fifth, sixth, and even seventh year. Um, so we have players that have waited their time uh, to play, and it's good for them that they're going to get uh, game experience. 
and this starts our growth process um, that some of these players, I think, will evolve into being some of the top players in the ACC. It is a remarkable achievement for anybody that is older than 25 years old or 30 years old who remembers growing up with Wake Forest football and thinking, it's just a good year if you win eight. It's an amazing year if you win eight. That's now the standard for Wake. We're talking about so much changing in which you learn. You lose a quarterback like Sam Hartman and six, seven games. That's still the expectation. Don't lose sight of how much this program has grown under Dave Clawson, who's done a magnificent job with this program, the best coach that this program's ever had, with respect to Jib Grobe and P. Head Walker that came before him. A lot to do on today's show. We've got Graham's gambling in less than 10 minutes. Yeah, we're going to be handing out picks while sitting here in the skybox at a legacy stadium. Send me that cash out, fam. We've got a great lineup of guests. Wake AD John Curry later this hour. Next hour, we expect visits from the voice of the Deke, Stan Cotton, Connor O'Neill, Elon graduate, going to join us who covers the Deeks. And in the 5 o'clock hour, Eric McClain, who's going to be broadcasting for the ACC Network's Roadshow from Winston-Salem today. He will be dropping by as well. And who knows who else is going to drop by. Will Dalton, the executive producer of this show, turning the dials back in our Providence Lane studios here in Winston-Salem. You can watch the show on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch, in addition to tweeting the show at WSJS Radio. WD, while I'm at Elon Wake tonight, your attention's going to shift to high school football that we have on WSJS. What matchup are you going to be focusing on? We've got Page Mount Tabor. It's going to be at Page, like five minutes up the road from where I live, oddly enough. But So b- make sure you're locked into that. Dave Pulaski and our guide Gray Brindle going to be on the call for that. While we were focusing, we are focusing on all the college football, I'd be remiss not to bring up that Scott Fitterer, Panthers GM, spoke to the media. Scott Fitterer spoke after the cut down to 53 this week, and you can add him to the list of people who are encouraging some patience with this team because it can't be emphasized enough how new everything is. Scott Fitterer, he was back in Seattle about a decade ago, seeing how long it took a rookie quarterback, in that case, the undersized Russell Wilson, to figure things out and for that to blossom into a Super Bowl winner a year after Russ debuted and probably should have been two if not for the goal line interception against the Patriots the year after that. But this is Scott Fenner remembering that and referencing that when talking about Bryce Young this type of, uh, this time around and how much time it takes for a quarterback to figure things out and for all the new to start gelling and falling into place. It took a, a second. I can't remember the game. I think it was Arizona that we played early with him. You know, it, it took, you know, six, seven, eight games. I think it was like we played Buffalo maybe up in Toronto, and that's when it just started to really take off. Then it, So it, it's going to take a few weeks. You know, we have 53-man roster, and you have 24 new faces on it and, you know, new coaches. It's going to take a little time in the beginning. But, uh, you know, this, this group will come together. I think it's going to be a, a strong group. So if Carolina loses a couple of division games to open up, in a worst-case scenario, they start 0-2, this is me telling you now the sky is not falling. Wait until November and see what Bryce Young has done at that point. That isn't 
That doesn't mean Carolina can't contend for a division title this year. It doesn't mean they can't have a winning record even. But that requires everything to fall into place perfectly for you to remain healthy, for guys to figure things out quicker than usual for younger players. As he pointed out there, 24 of the 53 were not here last year. And speaking of last year, he made a point that this team isn't all that much more talented than the team they started with a year ago. Going through it this morning, I sat down with Dan. We went position by position, pulled out the 2022 roster to this one. And, you know, for the most part, we, we had mostly positive. There were a couple of equals, and there was one negative. But overall, I just thought, like, you know what? We're making progress. It's where we want to be. Um, uh, every year, you know, I say our goal is to win the NFC South. And I think even with all the new faces, the new staff, and all the changes that are taking place, that's our goal. And I think, you know, uh, if we played our, our ability, that's definitely within reach. I'd be interested to see what group he saw that was a drop-off from last year. My guess is probably running back. With all due respect to Miles Sanders, Christian McCaffrey might be the best running back in the NFL or at least one of the top three or four. So maybe that's the area you're not as good in. Maybe it's wide receiver now that you don't have DJ Moore. But this is the part that needs to be talked about too. Yes, Carolina can win the division this year, but that's less a compliment, a praise of Carolina's talent, and more an indictment of the state of the NFC South. You got to remember that. Just because they say the NFC South's the goal, we can win the NFC South, doesn't mean they're saying you're a Super Bowl contender. It doesn't mean you're in contention to win 10 games. It means your division isn't any good this year, and somebody's probably going to win it with nine wins. Who knows? With the tie in there, you could be talking about an eight-win NFC South champ. Can't rule it out. But getting back to football, college football, that is. In the last two days, WD, going to take you behind the scenes. The card for Graham's gambling has shrinked from 13 to 7 to this steady five that is sitting in front of me right now. And I'll share those five picks with you next on The Drive. I'm sorry I'm a little winded. A lot of talk. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. There are a lot of things you could say about me and this radio show as we're broadcasting from a legacy stadium site of Wake Forest, Elon, tonight. One thing you could say about us, WD, modest. We don't gloat. We don't spike the football when good things happen for us. Modest, humble, hashtag humble. That's that's what we're about around here. It's a virtue. It so is. last week, it shouldn't surprise you that we didn't just open up 4-0 and because that would be showy. That'd be spiking the football. <laughs> That'd be doing a bit too much. So we started the season a modest two and two oh, that was after last year. That's right. You, you, that after, was it was week that. zero. Like, come got on. Got it. That's right. We just got to ease into this a little bit. Last year we were close to 60%. Best season we ever had. This is our sixth football season as a show. So this week I think we start to really hit on them. I think maybe we go 5-0 and oh this week. How's that sound? 5-0, and oh, that's what we're going for because I got a card in front of me here with a steady five on it. 
It's time for this week's Grams Gambling. If you're not gambling, come on now, let's talk some money. You're not trying. You are so money. You don't even know it. But you do. Let's play some bets. I'm going to make you rich. This is Grams Gambling. And let's start with an ACC midweek game. Though I'm not talking about Wake Forest tonight, I'm not even talking about NC State against UConn. I'm looking at tomorrow night down in Atlanta, Georgia Tech, Louisville, where the home Yellow Jackets are getting more than a touchdown. They're getting seven and a half points. And I'll say, give me that. Give me that seven and a half. Brent Key had Georgia Tech humming at the end of last year, went into Chapel Hill, knocked off the Tar Heels, did enough to take the interim tag off of them. Louisville, I think they're going to be pretty good with the prodigal son, Coach Brom, coming back to Cardinal Land. I just don't think it's going to happen right away. They have a transfer coming in at quarterback. It's not all that impressive when you look at the depth chart. So give me the home team that's getting more than a touchdown here. I don't know if Georgia Tech wins the game, but they keep it very tight. We're going. We're saying go ACC to start things off with the Yellow Jackets. Give me that cash out, fam. One of the games that has the most attention on it is Fox's big noon Saturday game between Colorado and TCU. TCU fresh off the playoff appearance and Colorado, you might have heard, has some guy named Deion Sanders as his coach. Don't call him a Florida State Seminole. Don't call him that, according to Prime himself. As ridiculous as that is. But you look at the line, you're like, whoa. Prime plus 20 and a half? Graham, are you going to do that? No. I'm not going to lay the points either because that's not generally what we do here. Instead, I'm just expecting some points to be put on the board. The total is 64. We're going north of that. I don't know if Colorado's reserves can hold up against what Sonny Dykes has, you know, fired up down there in Fort Worth. I don't know if it's going to go well in the second half for them. They might win the game by 17 to 20 points. But I know Colorado's going to score a little bit. Prime's not going to be on this prime stage and not put up some points. I think they'll do enough to get north of 64 combined. TCU wins the game comfortably, but we're going with the over here. Send me that cash out, fam. I feel so bad doing this one here. Tennessee, Virginia. Virginia's going to be so bad this year. I hope I'm wrong because I'm married to a Virginia grad, and it was so terrible what happened to them at the end of last year. But prior to that, the football team wasn't good, and there's not much reason to believe they're going to be good this year either. One of the picks we gave out at the start of the year in terms of futures was Virginia minus three and a half wins. Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me yeah i'm not gonna go with the full lay the 28 but in the first half i think hypel's gonna want to put it on him i think joe milton wanting to start a heisman campaign gonna do the same thing this game's in nashville man that's right in tennessee's backyard rocky top lay the 14 and a half first half because again You don't want to lay it on Virginia in their first game after the tragedy and all of that. We do hope that they are respectable and, you know, can hold up a little bit in the second half. But I think in the first half, I think Tennessee's going to get up big. Vols minus 14 and a half first half. Send me that cash out, fam. I have this written down from last year, WD. Bet at least one team 
that played in week zero against a team that had not played yet in week one. And the team I have written down for this week, I can't believe I'm doing this, UMass, Minutemen, fresh off their first FBS win in years, the first time they opened the season with an FBS win since 1984, we're going Minutemen plus 35 at Auburn. They're on the plains. We're going Minutemen. I think it's an advantage that they've played. And last week, again, they won. You have the Clemson tra transfer, uh, Famicom, who's at quarterback. So the offense actually looked pretty decent. I think they're going to move the ball a little bit. I think they're going to score. Obviously, they're not going to win the game, but a lot is new with Hugh Freeze now there in Auburn. UMass covers 35. They cover five touchdowns out at Auburn. Send me that cash out, fam. And this one's gross, but it's personal for me. The last one. North Texas is getting six and a half. They're facing Cal. Future ACC team Cal. <laughs> Why is North Texas personal for me? Do you know where North Texas is located, WD? No. A town called Denton in North Texas. You know what their mascot is? No. They're the Mean Green. The Mean, mean Joe Green. Green. Mean Joe Green went to North Texas. This is personal for me. North Texas is the pick, plus six and a half. They're at home. You got a team coming from Berkeley that's going to be playing in what feels like 100 degree temperatures out on that turf field in Denton, Texas. We're going with the mean green to perhaps win this game outright. I don't think a lot of points are going to be scored in this game. North Texas plus six and a half, our final pick of Graham's Gambling this week. Send me that cash out, fam. So in review, we have in the ACC tomorrow night, Georgia Tech plus a touchdown against Louisville. TCU, Colorado going over 64. First half, Tennessee minus 14 and a half against the Wahoos of Virginia. UMass plus five touchdowns against Auburn out of the Plains. And North Texas in Denton plus six and a half against Cal. Fire it up. That looks like a 5-0 and slate to me. Cash out, fam. That's what it looks like to me. Let me tell you what I'm looking at right now. WD, we've got bands practicing. Elon's band was just out there. See, that is one thing. People do ask me, hey, do you like college or pro? Which of the two do you prefer more? And I always say college and the reasons I go for it. And, again, I love NFL football. I watch it and cover it. But college, you have cities like Winston-Salem. You have cities like Blacksburg, Virginia. Like you, you fill in the blank that you only know because of the college that's within it. Would Little I know Denton, Clemson? Texas? Yeah, like would you know where Clemson, South Carolina is if no it wasn't shot. for the Tigers? Probably not. Would you know, would people on the West Coast know where Chapel Hill, North Carolina is if not for the Tar Heels? Probably not. So it puts cities on the map that otherwise wouldn't be there. In pro football, Charlotte's going to be a great city regardless if the Panthers are good or not. So you have that, the college town aspect, the college fan aspect, a variation of style. Uh, there's no triple option being run in the NFL. Everybody's trying to, to essentially do the same thing. So there's some variation of that. But there's one thing that in college I never really factored into that arithmetic, but I think does apply as I'm thinking about it right now. Bands. That's it. College, you got the band. You don't have the band in the NFL. You got bands in college. And we love a band. Someone actually asked me that once. They're like, 
Why aren't the halftime short? Like they were talking about the new rule changes in college. Hey, you're trying to shorten it by five to seven plays. Why don't you just cut down on the halftime like the NFL does? Well, the NFL doesn't have to worry about getting bands out on the field. You, you can't shorten halftime in college or else you're going to be shortening the band. And I know there are a lot of folks in HBCU communities listening right now who love HBCUs as we do. Winston-Salem State, shout out to you talking about the Red Sea that they have when the band comes to play. Like, those bands are – that's almost as good as the football game, maybe even better than the football game, watching the HBCU bands take the field. While I'm thinking about it as well, a shout-out to our friends at PDQ. Hooked us up with uh, lunch today, WDNI. They um, have a partnership with our radio stations, and that was fantastic. And I introduced – because it's a Winston-Salem-centric day with us being at Wait, I introduced WD to the Texas Pete Doust tenders that they have. Yeah, because I, I had had the spicy tenders before, and I thought that was kind of going to be similar to what I got last time. Not at all. These things yeah. took it up ten times. It's, it's fantastic. Handmade, it's their handmade barbecue sauce mixed with Texas Pete. Yes. And you could tell the handmade aspect of it. It's outstanding. So shout out to uh, Jim Crenshaw and company and all the folks there at PDQ off Stratford in Winston-Salem. Appreciate lunch. Ding, ding, boys. School's in session. Let's go, now. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Wake Forest Director of Athletics, John Curry, going to join us just a few minutes from now. There's a lot going on at game day, you know, you see... I look out our perch right now at a legacy stadium and I see the tailgate lots starting to fill up. And one of the cool things about this game is that it's a sellout that we're talking about in uh, Winston-Salem as we'll have you sit right here. John Curry is joining our set. And what a perfect transition to what I wanted to get to here. This is a sellout crowd that we're talking about for an FCS opponent in a midweek night game, John Curry. You know it better than I do. What precedent for that is there? Well, Josh, this is, uh, I think, the sixth or seventh sellout. Jordan Tech will be our seventh or eighth. Um, we're closing in on a Vanderbilt. So, um, you know, whether there's precedent or not, this is the way it ought to be, right? When you've got a fan base like Wake Forest, when you have a community like the Triad with 1.3 million people, and I just ran up the steps and I'm out of breath. So okay. Ask me another so question. let me let me do some talking so you can get your breath real quick. You're not kidding. You're sprinting up the stairs. Stan Cotton was texting me, man. John Curry, you might want to book his forty time. He probably could run like a sub four five forty. I remember though, like the way you're speaking, John. You don't maybe recognize it, but it's different than the way you were speaking when you first arrived here. Where when you were talking about season tickets and getting people excited, it was always with hey, look who we're playing. We're playing Clemson. We're playing NC State. We're playing Duke. The tone has shifted from, hey, come watch who we're playing versus come watch the Deeks. Well, we did establish the opening night theme in 2019. In fact, I got a note from uh, Mike Odom, who's now the senior associate AD at Creighton, um, and we established that opening night. Um, and that's been our theme, and it was our theme last year and the year before. But um, part of the opening night theme is exactly what you're talking about, where, you know, hey, August 31st, um, it's opening night. Well, who are you playing? It doesn't matter. It's opening night. You're going to see the Deeks, right? If if you were going to go see the Cubs on opening day of Major League Baseball, you wouldn't say, who are they playing? You'd say it's opening night or opening day. Sure. So it's opening night at a Legacy Family Credit Union Stadium. But we do have an excellent Elon 
uh, university team that's here to play. Yeah. When you look at um, – see, you – last time we were chatting with you, you were talking about the idea of Wake Forest brand, and you pushed back against some of the perceptions and narratives that were out there. Those are two words I've been thinking a lot the last week when Sam Hartman has the big game he has against Notre Dame, and the reaction from a lot of people was, whoa, Sam Hartman, he's pretty good, this guy. And I'm like, wait a minute, we, we watched this guy for four years do that. Why is this surprising to anybody? And also there's this idea, oh, Wake Forest must be upset at no end that this guy's no longer in Winston-Salem, and that couldn't be further from the troop, I don't think. Well, I mean, we all appreciate Sam and everything he did for the program, and he's always going to be a deacon that's fondly remembered and will be part of the program. Um, we have a lot of great football players at Wake Forest, and Will Pantages uh, was was uh, telling me they're, they're they're actually checking to make sure. Uh, but there's some somewhere in the na- in the three to four or five most players in the NFL in the ACC from Wake Forest. Right? Wow! So think about that. We we may and we, again we need to we need to uh, they're double checking it, but. The third most or fourth most or fifth most highest players in the NFL on active day rosters that just got cut down the other day in the ACC are Wake Forest, right? And so I think there's a couple things to think about that. One, people don't expect that. You know, there's some comments made by commentators that um, about, you know, the kind of players that Sam gets to play with now at, at Notre Dame versus the kind of players he got to play with here at Wake Forest. I can tell but you that their receivers at Notre Dame probably not going to be better than the ones they had at Winston-Salem. places, right? But, it, but so much about it is just like kind of the way it always has been and your expectations of what it was going to be. Um, and, you know, you can't control what it used to be, right? You can control what you are today and you can control what you're doing to be ready to be for, for your tomorrow. And Wake Forest and the Triad community – um, uh, and the city of Winston-Salem and Forsyth County, we've, we embrace that. We're moving forward. You know, the, what's, what's happened in this community, in downtown Winston-Salem and the Innovation Quarter uh, area over the last 20-something years, the Winston-Salem Open, uh, which is a great event, internationally televised uh, here that just concluded, you know, last weekend. <laughs> so there's some major uh, demolition that had to happen or, 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 or deconstruction on the east side of the stadium, you know, just over the last uh, week. Um we're moving forward, and we're moving forward with incredible passion. You know, like I said earlier, when I was out of breath up the stairs, 1.3 million people. This is the seventh highest rated ESPN market in the country. There's huge sports interest here. Um, you know, our state is the fastest or third fastest growing state in the country. We're the number one state in the in the um, uh, in the union and for business, according to CNBC. And, and then right in the middle of it, you've got Wake Forest, a top 30 university, but you've got a athletics program that wins in pretty much everything and 10 national championships and all that kind of stuff. So it's all good. To second the point that you're making about football, though, and guys making rosters, uh, I was talking about this with a front office member, um, I think just a few days ago, about Blake Whitehart, who made the Arizona Cardinals 53-man roster, and it just seems to be two or three guys who don't get drafted end up in on NFL teams. It's a testament to this staff that they always – Coaches and front office members always do the same thing about Wake players. They understand NFL schemes. They are so well coached. They're so bright, which you expect with a top 30 education. But just from a football IQ standpoint, like it, there's, it isn't a surprise that they make that transition because of the quality of coaching staff that you have. The, our coaching staff does a great job uh, from from even you know age 15. You know, in terms of evaluating um, students who are going to appreciate the Wake Forest experience 
and grow from the Wake Forest experience and be invested in the Wake Forest experience. And that's really across the board. And that's why, you know, 70% of the student athletes at Wake Forest made the ACC honor roll, um, uh, you know, this past year. 70% of 400 students. And, and Wake Forest, as anyone knows, is, um, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, the work is rigorous. The academic load yeah. is rigorous, and we're not, we, we, and we're not, we're uncompromising and and embracing the fact that, you know, it's a we're still going to be a college athletics program. I love the way Dave Clawson said that at the, uh, in July at the um, ACC media days. You know, we're still going to run a college football program at Wake Forest, right? Yeah. And and the value that is extracted by our student athletes from the Wake Forest experience, from those great classes. Um, with our incredible, you know, teacher, scholars, uh, professors, and Provost Gillespie. I think that answer was in response to something where they were talking about the direction that college football is heading in, and Wake Forest is always going to have a program. We are three hours and five minutes from kickoff time, which means we're three hours and five minutes from the ACC season kicking off, and we still don't have clarity on what exactly is going to happen, what decision the university presidents are going to make with expansion. Are you surprised that we don't know one way or the other at this point? 31 years, 14 years as a Power 5 AD, including my eight years in the Big 12. Nothing surprises me. Um, but the ACC is in a really enviable position. And, you know, you know that old uh, FDR or uh, – or, uh, or Churchill, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, right? So sometimes we kind of like work ourselves up into a little frenzy about, about fear type stuff. But the reality of it is the ACC doesn't have to do anything right now. The ACC has an excellent long-term contract, uh, which is especially with ESPN, which is especially important right now because you got to remember, I mean, all you got to do is read the newspaper or the CNBC ticker or whatever or, or, or whatever and see all the challenges and how disrupted the whole media enterprise and landscape, I mean, you know that better than anybody, sure. right, than anybody. So uh, the streamers are having trouble making money, the Netflix, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's a there's huge disruption in what values are. So having a long-term contract when there's disruption is good. Do you think that because the season's starting, that's an issue that could be put on the back burner, though? Like that that's something that might you now look at and say, we're going to pause and put this on the shelf? Well, the, well, first of all, it never ends, right? It's been going on since the University of Chicago left the Big Ten, you know, in whatever, that 1938 or whatever. Um, I, I believe that, that um, it, it's – there is a moment right now because of the dissolution or the, 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 the Pac-12 uh, upheaval a few weeks ago that I think there is a desire to have some, some bit of certainty. Um, and, uh, you know, different institutions have to make their own decisions uh, and all that kind of stuff. And – uh, I, I trust President Winty and, and our uh, board. Uh, Jim Ryan is the president at um, at Virginia, uh, who's providing great leadership, along with Commissioner Phillips. Um, and it may be that, and there are really good reasons to look at expansion. And there's really good potential. You know, you can read any article you want. I'm not telling you anything you hadn't heard, right? There are really good potential fits for our league. Um, ultimately, though, the ACC is really important to the state of North Carolina, right? Especially, there's no state in the union where the, the conference like the ACC is, is so important, right? So if you think about the investment of the of the state of North Carolina in keeping the headquarters of the ACC in Charlotte, you think about what's happening happened in Cary over the years with the Cary uh, soccer complex and how that fits into the ACC, the ACC football championship game. You know, Birmingham, Alabama, Chicago, Illinois, and Fort, uh, uh, Arlington, Texas, or Irving, Texas, you know, Dallas, Texas, and Charlotte, those are the four anchors of big-time college athletics, right? And so certainly 
strengthening the ACC, strengthening the long-term viability of the ACC, strengthening the long-term optionality of the ACC is good for our state and it's good for all the institutions in our state. All right, let's go. Oh, I'm so excited. And three, two, one, go. Back to the drive with Josh Graham. Connor O'Neill, mighty Elon grad, covers Wake Forest, Deacon Illustrated, joining us from a legacy stadium. How conflicting is tonight for you? It's not. I mean, uh, the the only the only time Wake really had I thought had a chance against Elon. I was here, and that was 2009. That was a really good Wake, uh, really good Elon team. It was right when those Wake teams started to fall off a little bit under Jim Grobe. Um, and that was a that was a playoff. That was Elon's first playoff team in school history. Uh, of course, they only moved to Division One in the late 90s. It's not like it had been a 60-year drought or anything like that. But uh, I think the score was like 35-7. Like that yeah, gives you an example of how mismatched these schools are. Right. So Wake's going to win big, and Mitch Griffiths is going to put up a great stat line like he did against VMI last year. What makes tonight interesting for you? It's all about seeing the guys that are in bigger roles. Like, you know, we barely saw DeMond Claiborne last year on the field for Wake Forest. Now he's running back number two. Uh, what's he going to do? I, I can't imagine Justice Ellison gets more than, you know, 12 to 15 handoffs. So, DeMond Claiborne is going to have a big – is, is going to be in there often. Whether he has a big game or not, we'll see. Like, Tate Carney is another one in the running back room. Uh, we need to see Horatio Fields on the field for the first time since the spring 22 because he blew out his ACL before last season. Uh, it's, it That's – that's always this game to me is how many players can you get on the field and how many guys are you looking at who haven't done much for you going to get in there and either be able to perform under the bright lights or who are going to be consumed by them. Let's look at what we have in front of us on the field here. Already starting to see some Wake Forest players pull her out from warm-ups and literally in the last 30 seconds or so, team buses have rolled by from Elon that just arrived here in addition, looking around the stadium at what's new, you might be listening in the parking lot. We're riding into the stadium right now. You have, for the first time, I've been told, you have actual you have railings between sections for safety purposes. You have like some stairs that are here on the uh, near the near the hill that makes the hill a little bit more accessible. I've been told about the LED lights that they've installed that you see at a lot of pro stadiums and college stadiums across the country. So expect some light shows with it being a night game tonight. Just a few things to expect that's different here at a legacy federal credit union stadium, Connor O'Neill. Um, tomorrow there's going to be a university president's call, according to Andrea Adelson, with expansion being the topic. She said, still uncertain if they have the votes. Do you believe that? Uh, I kind of do. Um, you don't think this is inevitable? I, I don't. I was on the was I was on uh, 52 North driving in, and uh, when you had John on, and I completely agree with John. It, it's this feels like a move just to make a move. This this feels, you know, adding. 
adding these three schools or two of the three or one of the three even doesn't convince Florida State it's not worth leaving in a couple years if they want to leave in a couple years. He actually, we all know they want to do. He actually quoted FDR in saying there's, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And that's exactly what this is. It's a, it's a move that's made out of fear. Fear that Florida State might leave. And to your point, the, the Board of Trustees have already said, what's this going to give us, these success initiatives? Six, seven million dollars? We're talking about being 30 million dollars short. So whatever you do in adding these schools and how you share the money, probably not going to be enough to make them happy or those who are unhappy about the financial situation happy. And the other thing that's driven off fear is, we're going to only have 14 schools while the others have 16 and 18. What's going to save us from the next round of poaching? Not Cal and Stanford. No. And I know every single one of these decisions and discussion points and everything about it is driven by football. But if you want to talk about the state of ACC basketball and how to get it back to where it was three or four years ago, you need to – minimize conference games you don't need to be adding three more schools and make it so that the only repeat opponent you have is one so you get two versions of duke carolina two versions of maybe wake state but otherwise everybody just plays each other once that's you know i again i know it's all football is king and i know on opening night it's probably not the best time to criticize the football is king uh kind of theory that's taken over college athletics but and ACC basketball will suffer greatly if these three are added. Basketball schedule is set to come out in the next two weeks. So we'll see what those look like. Connor O'Neill hanging out with us also covers Duke. We'll be carrying Duke-Clemson on Monday. I'll be out at that game at Wallace Wade. That looks like a game that could be a sellout. It does. Uh, like we were just talking about, you know, Duke has a lot of momentum coming off of nine wins. Once you get into the nuance of it, you get into, yeah, they they didn't beat a team that was bowl worthy until the last game of the regular season, and then um, and that team's from Winston Salem, yeah, that Wake Forest team, yeah, and then won the bowl game. Uh, look, it, it's it's a really experienced Duke team. They get Clemson in game one of a new starting quarterback and a new offensive coordinator. I know that Clemson won the national championship back on January 13th when they hired little Lincoln Riley. But Hey, you better be careful when you talk about the Riley name around me. I'm glad you're, you're heeding uh, Ovius's advice or Gilio, whichever one of yeah. the Joes told you you should embrace My the guy. defense of the Riley name. But yeah, we, we should probably have a Lincoln Riley-like picture plastered on this glass wall. That's behind you here for those watching on YouTube, Twitter, and Twitter. You can go next to your Boston College face. Boston College. Boston College. Somewhere. But here's the thing. My mind, this entire summer, everybody's talking about this is going to be a close game. Watch out for Duke and all this. My mind's telling me it's going to be close. But my body. No, my heart is actually telling me that. It's my gut, I should say, is telling me that Clemson is going to jump out, and we're going to see a lot offensively from these skill guys because this is the best group of skill position players that Clemson's had since it was T. Higgins and Justin Ross and Travis Etienne with Shipley back and Antonio Williams who's throwing the ball to Bo Collins and others. Uh, how many how many minutes are you away from having Emac join you up here? 530. 35? Yeah. I would ask him about the offensive line at Clemson. Cause I will. I, I think the offensive line at Clemson has been pretty bad. Mm-hmm. 
uh, at least compared to where they want to be. Uh, I'm sure there are some teams in the ACC that would gladly trade for, for their offensive line in the last couple of years, but you've got <laughs> as as much breaking down of receivers and quarterbacks, and we get all we lather ourselves up into who has the fastest forties and the quick the quick twitches. The games start, and you always get reminded when the games start that football comes down to two things, basically. It's whoever, whoever's big guys can move the other team's big guys out of the way more often, and whoever's defensive players can get the other team's ball carriers on the, on the ground. Like, it is still blocking and tackling that determine how good your football team is. Now, if, if you have receivers like Clemson had back when it was T. Higgins and Justin Ross, when it was Mike Williams, uh, even going back to Sammy Watkins, I don't think I've had anybody on those levels no. for three years, and that's where that's where I kind of think DJU took some unmitigated uh, criticisms because everybody's looking at him like, "What's wrong with you?" It's like, well, he's not throwing to NFL receivers, and that O line isn't as good as it was when Emac was on it. Exactly. So those are the things I want to know about Clemson's offense. Look, their defense is going to be good. Their defense has kind of been the one constant over the last couple of years. When they haven't been a national championship contender, they've still had a defense that is able to shut teams down. And that's where that's where the true test, I think, is for, for Duke. Um, you have an offensive line in Duke that is really good one through five. There's not much depth there. And then you have a quarterback. Everybody wants to see Riley Leonard against a, a real good team and a real good defense. And we're going to see it. You know, there's, there's no easing into it. There's no uh, – Temple team that has a new coach that you're going to see him be able to excel against early. Uh, this is this is a trial by fire for this Duke team. It's the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. Our friend Drew Carter going to drop by in just a little bit. He is calling the game tonight on the ACC Network where the college football season is going to begin for the ACC. Very exciting. And Drew Carter has a special tie to the city of Winston-Salem that we'll get to momentarily as well. WD prioritizing tonight's action. There's no Orioles baseball, so I don't have to pull up the Orioles in the press box here right after tonight's game wraps up or right after the show wraps up as the games are getting set to start. But while I have two screens in front of me, I have to prioritize. I assume Wake Forest Elon, that's going to be over by the end of the first quarter at the latest by halftime. Safe bet. What, what am I putting on my screen? Are, is it NC State, UConn automatically? Or am I looking at what Matt Rule's doing at Nebraska? Am I looking at what Matt Rule's going to debut with against Minnesota? Or possibly can I interest you in some Utah versus Florida? See, for me, it'd be NC State. Or even North Carolina A&T facing Trent Dilfer and UAB tonight. For me, it'd be NC State. I'm fascinated, I'm fascinated by what they're going to do. Yes. So there is a lot of college football tonight. But if you're watching, 
from home, Wake Forest tonight. Drew Carter is going to be on the call from ACC, and he's got his chart ready to go as he's joining us. If you're watching on Twitter, <laughs> Twitch, or YouTube, you can see it. It's multi-sided. Is it ready to go, Drew, or are we getting some last-second things filled in here well, by hand? Josh, that's why I brought my pen for this, because whatever you tell me is going straight on the board and thus straight on the TV broadcast. But it's good to see you, man. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you as well. And I tease this a bit. You do have a tie to the city of Winston-Salem because the first time I met you, you were being crowned the Jim Nance Award winner uh -huh. for the best collegiate sportscaster at the NSMA here a few years ago. That was a pretty cool weekend, man. That was pretty cool. It feels like a long time ago, uh, but even still, I can't believe it. Four years later, yeah. uh, that was pretty crazy. I was speaking in front of all my heroes and sweating profusely. Tony Kornheiser came up to me after the speech and was like, great job. We're going to see you on TV one day. I'm like, are you kidding me? That was just like totally blew my, my mind. But yeah, that, I think that was the first time I ever came to this area. It's only good memories here in the, in the triad. Let's hope that for Wake Forest's sake, kind of like all the other FCS games they've played, things go well for them. In the second half of this game, if things are going <laughs> south, what are some things you've had circled already that you're like, Oh, I can't wait to to put this in on the broadcast. Like tonight. if if things are going south. Like if things are going well for okay, Wake good. for Wake Forest right. is what I'm saying. South in terms of the competitiveness of the game. Correct. Well, Josh, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> believe it or not, we're prepared for that. You know, just in <laughs> case. You know, no offense to Elon, but the line is upon last check about 31 or 32. There I are a lot of words on this chart. Yes, yeah, there are a lot of small print words. I think what I'm most excited for tonight, Josh, is the slow mesh. Yeah. It's dead. It's not branded as the slow mesh anymore. It's the pace and space. Pace and space. But what I'm most excited to say on national TV is the hang and bang. Hang and bang. Hang and bang. Because it's hang not bang it's it's not slow mesh. You hang it when you, you keep it in your running back's belly, then you pull and then you bang it. So Hopefully I won't get fired tonight because I plan to say the words hang and bang on ACC Network at least like 25 times. WD, I want <laughs> to put a, something in front of you. I want to test your production skills. We have take it to the house in like 15 minutes. You've got – I want you to find the Tulane, former Tulane announcer, Todd Grappagnini's call during a NCAA tournament, hang em, bang em. If you please – it's one of my favorite play-by-play -play calls ever, and I know Drew Carter would appreciate it. If you type in Tulane Radio, Hang'em Bang'em, you will find perhaps the greatest Homer announcer <laughs> out there, who's now the voice of the Pelicans, by the way, uh, calling a Tulane home run. So now, Hang'em Bang'em, it's the hang and bang offense that we're looking at for Wake Forest. It's pace and space. Pace and space. It's hang and bang. Hang and bang. It's It just flows a little bit better than the slow mesh, right? I think the coaching staff here – and they told us this week that they run the slow mesh on maybe 5 to 10% of their plays. But because it's so distinct, it's so unique, that's what everyone sees. When they close their eyes and they think of the Wake Forest offense, they see the slow mesh. So they call it that. But I think there's a perception, especially in recruiting, that the slow mesh is almost gimmicky a little bit. Sort of how people used to think about the air raid, right? 15 to 20 years ago, they're like, I don't want my quarterback to go play in the air raid. Because if he does, no one's going to want to draft him in the NFL. That's why people think that. Sam Hartman, to a degree, wanted to go to Notre Dame Yes, because you can't say that I'm not doing this in a traditional offense if I'm doing it in South Bend. The thing is, 
Wake Forest probably runs as many or more pro concepts as any other team in the ACC. I mean, Coach Ruggiero was telling us about the run-and-shoot concepts, the outside zone. It's not just slow match. So they're rebranding it as pace and space. They're all big NBA fans in that quarterback room, so pace and space is the kind of term that you've, you've heard to describe small ball for a long time in the NBA. So it makes sense. We're going to drop that rebrand today, and hopefully everybody buys in. We were expecting a massive ACC headline this week, and we got the massive ACC headline that we were all looking forward to, and that is ACC football coming to theaters near you. <laughs> so I just have, as somebody who's calling ACC football games, how does it hit you? Like, are your parents already hitting you up saying, I can't wait to go to the local movie theater and watch my son call Pitt Syracuse? Has that happened yet? Do you think this game is going to be in theaters? Nationwide? Not yet. Not yet? I don't think so. I've heard that the turnaround is a little tough because okay. it was week one. But in all honesty, like, LSU Florida State Sunday night, if, if that was showing in a movie theater near me, I'd be in that movie theater. I'm buying a ticket. I'm in. I'm going solo to the theater. Have you seen Barbie? I'm going to sneak. Oh, I have. I've seen Barbie once and Oppenheimer twice. Did you go solo or did you go with the missus? I went with my wife, but I would have gone by myself. That's did you I'm, go by yourself? No, I'm about to, though. Yeah. I'm about to. When? Maybe next week, actually. Okay. Maybe next week in Boston. Did you watch Oppenheimer? Not yet. Okay, so you're going to watch Barbie. WD and I actually have seen Oppenheimer twice in IMAX. Together? Yeah. We, we went together twice. That's chemistry right That's there. what I'm saying. Radio it's all about. chemistry. Did yeah. you have any success with finding this home I'm run call, working. by the way? I'm still working. Okay, he's still working on it. But we'll, that's, again, testing his production work. We'll see how quick the turnaround is going to be on that. So you're telling me this game isn't in theaters? Like, So I, I got to scrap everything that I had planned because my initial line coming on the air was going to be – in a world. No, I thought I, – in a world. I thought you were going to go Nicole Kidman at AMC <laughs> Theaters being like, I did this is where magic that. happens. Yeah. Right before, like, Louisville takes on BC. <laughs> this is where the magic happens. The unbelievable becomes the believable. Uh, no, it is It is a great concept. I'd sneak, I'd sneak some, like, gummy worms in my pockets into the theater. What kind of gummy worms? I Sour, okay. of course. Duh. Any other kind? I mean, I guess you got the chewy, like. There, I mean, there are certain kind of gummy worms. I don't know if they're legal down here. Oh, yeah, yeah. understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I catch, I catch the drift now. I'm talking about the extra sour. You know what I'm saying? That's about. The, the extra sour gummy worms. Yes, of course. Dangerous. I am. Yeah. Oh, so the hang and bang we can expect yes. on the broadcast tonight. Any other? I don't want to call it blowout material, but any other extra pre uh, preparatory material that you have that might make its way into the broadcast, Drew Carter? Well, I'm just excited to see which freshmen play because this mm. is not a program that relies on true freshmen very much. They, they typically redshirt about 80 to 85% of guys who come through. But I think in a game like this, you'll probably see multiple true freshmen playing, including Carrington Lee on the defensive end. I would love to see Deuce Alexander suit up at wide receiver Ooh. and play. I know Wake Forest fans would be pretty excited about that, right, if we see 81 but I don't know, uh, meaningful snaps might not be in his future immediately, maybe later on in the season. But in a game like tonight, you never know. I mean, I was here two years ago, Josh. My first ever assignment for ESPN was Wake Forest Old Dominion in 2021. And after talking with the ODU coaches, that was their last year in FCS. They're now up at FBS. I was kind of drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. I'm yes. like, you know, I think ODU's got a shot in this game. Fast forward to the second quarter, it's like 42 to nothing. I remember having dinner with you the night before that, and yeah. I remember you telling me, 
watch out for ODU. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, right. So, and, and here's the thing. In our profession, you know how it is. Yeah. We try to sell it. So, I mean, tune in. ACC Network, 7 o'clock. It could be a close game. But I, I believe enough in Wake Forest. I know this program well enough at this point to think that they will handle business tonight. And we might see some of the, uh, some of the second and third stringers. Aside from the game that you're calling tonight, what ACC game are you most intrigued to watch this weekend? Or maybe we can even expand it beyond ACC. But even though the two most intriguing matchups seem to be ACC, SEC matchups. You know, the easy answer, of course, is LSU, FSU, and I'm, yeah. I'm stoked to watch that. Maybe maybe the two most experienced quarterbacks in America, right? And those two guys? What are you smiling at? You see something in the chat? I see, I see, I see WD, WD smiling. Does he have it? Does he have it? <laughs> I have it. Oh, okay. baby. I think, are you ready? I, you know, I think My we, answer can wait. you got to play this. <laughs> All right. This is, again, to set it up, this is Todd Graffignini in honor of the hang and bang offense that Wake has set the run that Drew Carter just introduced us to, maybe giving us the best homer baseball call from Tulane in a NCAA tournament baseball game. Breaking ball drills in deep left. Way, way back. Get out of here. It's gone. 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 Home run, Rogers. Home run, Jake Rogers over the bullpen. Asking he shall receive. Deep, deep, deep into the Oxford afternoon. Hang a bag of baby. <laughs> there you go. Hang a bag of baby. So fast forward a few years after that, I'm at a Winston-Salem Dash baseball game, and Jake Rogers is in the Fayetteville system playing against the Dash. And right before a pitch was delivered, I yelled out, Hang a bag of baby. <laughs> and after his at bat, he looked up and he pointed at me. He knew exactly <laughs> what was up. That is epic. Now, is that a better homer call than uh, – Munson, the guy from Georgia. Oh, I we see, stepped on their face with a lead pipe like shoe or whatever it is. I, I, it's a nail. A nail, yeah. Nail toe. It was something violent. Toe and toe. nail were <laughs> no a boot. There was a boot involved in this. WD. <laughs> WD, how, how good are you? I'm good, but I don't know about this. Good. Can you send this to me right uh, now? I'm, I mean, I'm sure. If you uh, it's a hobnail boot. A hob a what hob even is boot? I don't know what a hobnail <laughs> boot is, but he is probably the greatest Homer announcer yes. of all time. I, I remember so I worked in Alabama for two years. Yeah. Covering the Crimson Tide. And no kidding. Uh, one of the one of the funniest moments, really in college football radio broadcasting history, is when they couldn't pronounce to his name in the second half of the national championship. Didn't even bother trying. Like actually made a joke out of it for the entire second half. And then they're like we got him. We got him. Second and 20. We got him. And then listening to the call of the game-winning touchdown pass is just gold. <laughs> it's like, you know, in South Park where Cartman is drinking tears from his enemies? Yes. That's how Alabama fans felt about months. Scott Tetterman's tears specifically yes. for those keeping score at yeah. home. Uh, what was great is the next day, too, all the national media that doesn't follow college football day-to-day yeah. -day trying to pronounce Tua's name, too. Right. Tua Tagovailoa. <laughs> That, that's me doing a Stephen A. impressive. That that wasn't the national media, Josh. That was the southern media. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of, like, teams around, <laughs> cities around us that are engaged in this game. You got Winston-Salem, obviously. You got Greensboro. And in between the two is a town called Kernersville that we're quite fond of. And Stephen A., he's quite fond of that. I've been to a Chick-fil-A in Kernersville. Where, wait, what was that Chick-fil-A again? Kernersville. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a 
exactly right. Stephen by, A. By the way, you should know, I have the Larry Munson. He has the Larry Munson sound have, queued I have, up. I have, I Dude, that have took it. like 45 seconds. Dude, right. he's ready. Let's play it. And there's a touchdown! My God, a touchdown! We threw it to Haynes. We just stepped up a five-second clip. My God Almighty, did you see what he did? No. David Green just straightened up, and we snuck the fullback over. Haynes is keeping the ball. Haynes has come running all the way across to the bench. We just dumped it over. It's 26 to 24. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. Great call, but no, I didn't see it. <laughs> did, did you see that, Josh? Did you see that? Over the radio. They didn't have the, the video stream. Yeah. No simulcast. On, on YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Didn't have that in addition to the radio. How many times did he say we in that call? Like eight? <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> we got him. We got to attack him below. <laughs> That's what he and uh, the guy from Tulane have in common. I was thinking about, speaking of quarterbacks in college having their names mispronounced because they're from Hawaii and no one has ever seen that name before. Remember Marcus Mariota's first game ever at Oregon? Tough. And uh, the announcers said, it's pronounced Mariota. The emphasis is on the last syllable. And how do we know that? Because his mom called in. What does that even mean, by the way? His mom called in, called into the TV called broadcast. Called into the TV broadcast. And said, it's Mariota. Uh, it was not it, Mariota. It, it wasn't. No. Malik. Mustafa. Malik, I've got that. Yep. I just put go. the phonetic pronunciations on here. So Malik Mustafa. We got a lot of good stuff on that guy. Mitch Griffith says he looks like a Nike mannequin and he's a missile. He was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. If you subscribe to the athletic, you know, he. I mean, ever, everyone around here knows this, I'm sure, but I didn't realize it. He tore his ACL in the bowl game in 2021 and was back next August. That's him. That's like Adrian Peterson stuff. Freak. So he is a freak show. You're on the, uh, college announcers freak list i'm putting it together <laughs> for next year drew carter thanks for spending the time i hope to see you throughout the season my friend you want to go to beat ups tonight beat ups <laughs>